So as I was saying before, uh, yeah, red pilling is uh, a different, um, means different things nowadays. Darren and I have opened up our third eyes. We are seeing more than the world wants us to see. Um, and they're trying to keep our knowledge down. And what we uh, it really what we are trying to what we mean by that is that women need to stay in the kitchen. Um, they owe it to us. We're nice guys. We're nice guys. You know. So like, I'm the nicest guy you'll ever meet. So when we go on dates with these women and we're nice, they owe it to us to give us sexual favors. If you pay for dinner, you get something in return. That's just how it works. Um, all women are prostitutes. Because, um, I mean, you're paying, you're paying for it either way. You know what I'm saying? That's true. <laughs> That's, yep. That's how it works, baby. All right. So how are we actually starting this one? Um... Uh, I actually took the blue pill, to be honest. Like, <laughs> if we're talking about real life standards, I'm uh, I'm gonna take the blue pill. If red pilling myself means that I turn into one of those people, um, incel culture's fucking bullshit. You know, uh, let's talk about let's talk about that because that's what's on everybody's mind nowadays. That's the fucking social climate nowadays. That's what we need to be talking about right now. Uh, I, uh, I, I don't know. I don't know, Darren. I came in here. I've collected, I've, I've collected my thoughts since last episode. I was prepared. I was prepared to have a, a more mature discussion of everything that's going on. And Darren's just, uh, Darren's just trying to spread his thoughts on, uh, what women owe him. Yeah. Owe us. Yeah. Um, I mean, you you agree? You think that? I mean, you agree, right? We've 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 talked about this on Reddit. <laughs> oh, we've commented God. back and forth about this on Reddit. subreddit you'll just see snickles one and snickles two commenting back and forth that being said welcome to snickles i am darren snickles one i'm jake snickles two and uh i'm i'm jake the snickles two snickle you can find us commenting back and forth at each other all over reddit about what women owe us because we're nice guys uh I'm going to adjust my microphone here. Hopefully this isn't ear rape right now. Oh, I don't think it ended up being ear rape. Hopefully that doesn't fall. If it falls, that'll be ear rape. Did you? Okay. Okay. Great. Great. Uh, Darren. Off to a good start, I'd say. Yeah, you would say that. Are you saying just the show, like over the past two years, it's been a good start? Yeah, I mean, listen, Jake, 
Uh, I think in the sense of it's good to learn what not to do. I think if like failure is the best teacher, then no one knows more than us. I'm glad that we're we're getting some respect from uh, from the right people here. Uh, no, I mean I, our fan base has actually grown, you know, to a interesting degree, you know. Like yeah. I didn't think I thought it would take longer for it to for us to like you know hit start hitting like actual regular subscribers. Uh, and if you are a regular subscriber, then hell yeah, dude, you are why we do this because we'd probably quit otherwise. I don't think so. You don't think we Maybe would? You would? I don't know. I mean, you did do get Jake to space for a while, and that was just you. That was, but that was only for like two months. That wasn't that long. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, it seems weird to me to talk about the show on the show. Well, that's Hollywood, baby. Have you seen the? That's true. Have you seen all the Oscar winners? It's all about Hollywood, baby. That's actually something I was thinking about recently. Is like because. Uh, Sometimes people will say like, oh, this movie's Oscar bait or like some things can be too artsy. That's that doesn't factor. It's just how much they show respect to old Hollywood. Oh, yeah. Seriously, it actually is. The more movies about movies that they make, it's surprising that the disaster artist didn't win Best Picture the year it was out. But what what did win that year? Let's but the the room isn't old Hollywood. That's that was someone (laughs) doing it their own way. Like that, that wasn't the studio system, like that's doing it their own way yeah. on the lot. Like, that's true. Truly, even after La La Land didn't win, they attempted to get it. The powers that be attempted to get it the win. Yeah. Uh, Thanks, Harvey Weinstein, for that. Uh, for being a part of the Academy, the Academy that. Uh, Got a lot of best picture winners that had movie the best picture winners that were about fucking Hollywood because we needed more of that. I mean, honestly, like if we're talking, if people actually care about us talking about the Oscars, then us talking shit about Hollywood is the wrong thing to do here because people who care about the Oscars <laughs> actually do like Hollywood. Uh, most, you know, more commonly than not. My respect for the Oscars has grown infinitely since Parasite won. Yeah, it has. Yeah, I, I mean since I, Moonlight too. I I do like I do like that Moonlight won that one year. Yeah, but then Green Book won, which like really that was took back that, everything. That, that was like their fucking pandery shit. That was them going like, "This is about black people." <laughs> See. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, we like black movies. <laughs> See, we like black people. We we had Moonlight win last year. Look at that. Uh, well, Black Klansman or Black Panther? No, 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 no. <laughs> to be honest, though, they are under constant pressure for not putting more black people in their picks. I mean, understandably so. There's a lot of really good black movies that are out. I think also... I think in some ways, like, getting mad at the Academy 
This is sort of actually something I wanted to. So this is sort of related to what I actually did want to get into. Oh, is this a controversial statement? Are you about to- no, I don't think so. Okay. Maybe I don't know. I think like getting mad at the Academy for not nominating more black actors, which they absolutely should, because there have been good black performances that weren't nominated. Yeah. That seems like it's the easier thing to do than getting mad at like filmmakers for not making putting more black actors into movies and like audience is not going to see more movies with black actors in it like yeah it it's the it's that like the easiest sort of activism to be like oh well they should nominate more of them which is true but then like not doing the further steps of like giving your money to the movies that are doing the things you think they should be doing and like supporting those studios and everything so that's Maybe that's controversial. I don't know. No, I think I, – well, it could be, but I think you're making – I think we need to start hitting more controversial <laughs> topics on this. Like, yeah, I think I think you're on a – I think I, – I, I agree with you. I think that we uh, – yeah, we, we kind of tend to pick the easiest way of protest. And, uh, yeah, because when it comes down to it with – what the Academy is picking, it has nothing to do with the performances is it's politics. It ha- like it, it, it's legitimately about campaigning. They have studios have movie campaigns. They pick a movie or a handful of movies that they want to be uh, nominated. And then they'll go to the Academy and start com- campaigning it to them. So they'll start, you know, schmoozing them up and getting them literally no joke, like bring the actors in, <laughs> having them shake hands with the Academy fucking, buy them gift baskets and gifts and shit, like literally giving them money sometimes. I mean, (laughs) one really famous example of that was uh, Denzel Washington winning Best Actor for Glory. He uh, briefly recalled a a time where his uh, executive producer brought him into the Academy, and he, I think he, I forgot what his exact quote was but he said something along the lines of he was asking the producer what he should be doing and he said just just keep smiling baby or something like that <laughs> so i heard that denzel also bought everyone in the academy an ipad that year <laughs> <laughs> yeah it, it's so yeah to to get mad at the academy is not really the way to handle it. If you're going to get mad at anybody, if you're going to protest anything, it should be It's the black actors for not <laughs> trying harder. Yeah, it should be the actors themselves and the artists themselves for not doing a better job. Um Yeah, I mean I that's hey, that was a joke about the black actors that I just said. I just want to make that clear. Oh, just want to I mean, make that well, clear. Well, I just want to make it clear I wasn't joking with what I said in the beginning about about women <laughs> and stuff. <laughs> But this goes to what I was, what I, what I wanted to come into the show. I was say, joking. Last week, Don't put me on record. I was joking. Don't take that out of context. If I ever run for office, <laughs> please. Darren, I'm not. I'm never going to run for office. <laughs> uh, you know what? Actually, Darren, I think you could run for office because you have, you have that sort of likability while also being like kind of dull enough that I think someone could convince you of their standpoint and you could just re- repeat their talking points. I think you might succeed. So you're saying that I would run as some sort of a pr- like like dark a Jedi puppet. apprentice? 
who's being with like a Palpatine type of character running yes. me. Okay. Absolutely. <laughs> so I'm basically a we... husk of a human being who just runs <laughs> off of the commands of somebody else. Yep. So I'm George Bush. Yeah, essentially. Okay. And I think we all know who your Dick Cheney is going to be. <laughs> I will not let it be you. <laughs> Absolutely uh, not. Uh, but okay, Snickers all for that. President twenty twenty. Not not the Dick Cheney stuff. That's not really what I was going to say. But it does come back. So last week we had a lot of laughs on the show. I wasn't quite ready to face what was going on in the world, and I'm still not exactly ready because it's you know messed up and everything. Yeah, I mean, I think it in a way it's doing some good because it's it's actually changing a lot of people's minds drew Brees changed his mind yeah i thought that that was great publicly at least i mean so if you don't know drew Brees said that he could never respect anyone who kneels during the national anthem which is a very uninformed opinion and i was disappointed to see it because i've always heard good things about drew Brees. and then a lot of his teammates were like, hey, dude, this ain't it. Yeah. This is fucked up. And then Drew Brees was like, I'm sorry. I like have learned more since I made that comment, which I like lots of respect for that. And then Trump was like, hey, you shouldn't apologize. You were right. And then Drew Brees was like, no, I stand by my apology, which I think is. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> there's a lot to unpack there, but. I just got yeah, but- into a lofty conversation, which I'll tack on at the end of this, I'm sure. <laughs> I think really what I wanted to bring into this is that a lot of times, just like the Oscar thing, like people will do, will say or do the easiest thing. So it's like, oh, well, I'm not racist. So like, yeah, the system is bad, but I'm not racist. And then just by saying that, like, it's you're dismissing the situation and it like, oh, it falls on other people. But like... I mean, every single person has been racist in their life. Like, it's just, it's just a statement of fact. Like, I mean, I grew up in a very white area. So, like, I, in, like, middle school and high school, I would make racist jokes to, like, my, my Chinese friends, my black friends. Which, and this is, like, part of it is that it, there wasn't bad, bad intent, but that's, like, a big part of, like, you think that, oh, we're just joking around, but really, no, you're being racist. So I think, like, really just thinking on that and accepting, like, what you've done that's been racist and thinking back to those times and accepting it will make you better able to point it out in the future and to prevent doing that again. Because just saying, oh, I'm not racist or, oh, I don't see color, like, that just that just closes you out of the conversation. Yeah. Uh, so, go on. Well, I was just going to say, like, your past doesn't have to define your future. I mean, it grows everybody as individuals, but it doesn't have to define what happens in the beginning. So, like, just because you said something in the past, you can change your mind. That's not, that's, that's just how we grow as people. You can admit that you're wrong and you can change your mind. It's, people have this, like, macho or, like, really... Uh, tried and tough opinion on you know when they admit that they're wrong they think that it makes them less of a of a intelligent or macho human being if they admit that they're wrong or you know they change their mind and that's not the case 
that's such a defining sign of you growing as a person when you can come to terms with yourself and be like, oh, that's wrong. What I was saying was wrong. And now I go back on it. I believe this now. After I've seen all this stuff, I believe it in my soul to be wrong. And now I'm going back on it. Uh, I don't know. I was just talking. This this is where it gets controversial, I think. I think if people are listening to this episode, it might turn some away. But uh, I think that, like... The two-party system is the mo is the biggest mistake that America has ever made. <laughs> uh, because it creates this sense of tribalism with people, other than slavery uh, and like several other things. There's like a lot of other mistakes <laughs> that are pretty. Bad America, <laughs> the list of things tied for number one. There's a lot of... Is as long as... <laughs> it's not the biggest mistake. As long as the Constitution itself. <laughs> we should talk about... There, there's like several other pretty big mistakes that America... So I, I go back on that statement. I'm growing as a person and going back on that statement. <laughs> I'm changing my mind about that. Uh, but it is a big mistake that I think America has made because it creates a sense of tribalism. And it creates a set... Instead of believing on individual topics for yourself, what you're individual what you as an individual believes it creates a set of beliefs like a list of beliefs that you pretty much have to believe or else if you don't you're not a true this or that and it literally is this or that i mean i have a family member who was a registered conservative and we talked about it and he was like yeah i i unregistered as conservative because i just felt that the social issues were I, he he still believes financially in being a conservative, but uh, he went back. He he's now he went unaffiliated because he couldn't get on with the the social topics. But the issue with that is that now he still that doesn't do anything because now for president he has two possible choices he can go with: the pedophile who is senile. Or the other pedophile who is senile. <laughs> Those are his two options this election. Uh, so it's just... And I think what's going on right now is showing a lot of that tribalism shit. Like the All Lives Matter versus Black Lives Matter stuff. Like, there's such easy... I've seen so many fucking easy explanations as to why All Lives Matter is the wrong fucking response. It's so easy to see because... I mean, this explanation, I'm sure everybody's heard this by now, but one house is on fire. People don't start hosing down the other houses and then say, oh, well, all these houses matter. They're like, yeah, but that one's on fire. That's that house matters more. That house, all these houses matter. That's that's fucking all the lives matter. That is fucking obvious. But one is in a lot of trouble right now and needs a lot of help from everybody. So you can't just. You can't just say all these fucking lives, all the other lives matter. They're going through the same shit. And if you really think that all the lives are going through the same shit right now, then you are completely blind. You're uninformed. You got to take a look at at the history of the U.S., what it's built on, and the people in power right now. And I think that people, despite not believing, like people I know, and I've never thought to actually be 
like racist people will say all lives matter. And I'm like, no, dude, like I'll explain that to him. I'll be like, black lives matter because they need the fucking help right now. And they're all saying, and they, they all say, no, well, I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to put your, I'm not going to put a, a black guy's life over your life. I'm like, dude, that's not the fucking <laughs> point. It's like you're, these people aren't inherently racist, but because they subscribe to a specific set of beliefs, they have to fucking believe that. They have to go by what that set of beliefs says. They can't just be an individual about it and, you know, choose different things. And everybody's taking this as a political measure, too. It has nothing to do with politics. This is about humanity right now. <laughs> this has nothing to do with fucking politics, but yet people are still making it about politics. And it... uh it's just a bummer to see because, yeah, it people are only saying all lives matter because of tribalism or because they're racist, and it's a fucking bummer. I think what to, to try to bring some humor into the situation. I think what's funny about like the all lives matter thing, and it's not entirely boomers who say it, but I think it's a lot of like baby boomers who say it, and I think it's so rich that at the same time they'll be like, "Oh, you want your participation trophy," <laughs> but then. At the same time, they're like, oh, why doesn't my life matter to you? Which it's like, <laughs> how can those two thoughts coexist? Yeah. Uh, but to go back to what you're saying about the two-party system, which is like, yeah, you have, I mean, there, there's a ton of problems, as you said. But then at the same, like, it, it's so much a part of our identity that when you have two two candidates who are just vile people that shouldn't be anywhere involved like i couldn't possibly vote for either of these people because neither of these people represent me or what i care about and so like where does that leave me in a system that only has two options like yeah there is no third like okay there's third party candidates but really like there is no third party it's very un- it's like astronomically so where does that leave for you? them to get voted in yeah well it's well it sucks that's why we need God, like it's the, I think the sad truth is that we are likely to never get rid of the two party system in America. We've just had too many elections run on it at this point. I think it's unlikely to say that either of that will ever add, you know, more than two more parties to the ballots each four years. So that is, just divides everybody too. people treat start treating it like sports teams and i'm not saying that it's all on the right like it's it's not all all the problems aren't coming from the right here you know like jake and i don't agree with all of the fucking the sjw shit i mean i don't know i i want to speak for jake here i think jake doesn't (laughs) but he could but i certainly don't agree with all the like sjw shit that goes on like on the side, not all those fights are fucking makes any, not all of the fights that you see on like Twitter or whatnot makes sense. You know, there's a lot of shit from both sides that just are too much. Just fucking be an individual. You don't have to be straight up one side or the other. You can fucking mesh. I mean, I think it's to the point where like SJW, I don't even know that that means anything anymore. Like it's so, <laughs> It just becomes, like, so abstracted that I don't... I don't know. Yeah. And I've seen a lot of this shit on Facebook, too, where if you don't agree with me, unfriend me. 
okay, cool. Create an echo chamber for yourself <laughs> so that you never can fucking learn anything from anyone else. Yeah. I, going back to the All Lives Matter thing, like I, one of my friends posted like a Black Lives Matter post and someone was like, why not All Lives Matter? And I think that on the one hand, like at this point, I don't know how you can't know why that's wrong. But if you don't know why that's wrong, like you should be able to ask, like, why not this? And like my friend gave a very like thoughtful response. While there's a lot of like hateful responses for obvious reasons, but I think like being able to ask people who have different views than you what they think about things is how you grow. Yeah, I think that's well. That's a better way of handling that than saying all lives, just all lives matter instead of black lives matter, you know, on a black lives matter post. When you said your the a guy commented and said why not all lives matter. That made it infinitely better because that's not just that's not like fucking somebody coming up and saying west side and then another guy coming up and being like <laughs> south side. That's more like a guy saying west side and then a guy coming be, coming up and being like why not south side. It's like Think about that. And if we're talking about if we're talking about gang fucking gang affiliations here or some another form of tribalism, it's like, yeah, uh, people people only say things to represent certain sides. And yeah, like I believe in Black Lives Matter and, uh, you know, I do I still consider the the tribalism with that but I think that isn't the wrong side of history here. I think there is a coalition to be had with the Black Lives Matter movement and I think that uh you know this is a big turning point in our history and I think that you need to be on the right side because when you grow up and your kids start reading about what is happening in 2020 right now you you don't want to be the parent who lies to them and says, yeah, I was I was for civil rights. I uh, you don't want to fucking say like you don't want to because now it's if you've posted about this, about something it's written and it's fucking there. It's there now. Like you have proof now of what side you were on. So if you've posted about this saying one side or the other, you know, there's no proof of what side of history you were on in this. And people don't think about that enough. But, uh, God, I'm getting fucking preachy here. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, just be on the right side of history is the point. Fucking Jesus. I think I'll I'll make one final point here, and then we should move on to to the meat of the episode. But I think this is a good conversation, because this goes back to everything that we've been saying about, like, being introspective and not just... Because it's, like, exactly what you're saying, that... I don't agree with every like democratic point or every democratic everything. I mean, I don't agree with who they, who the (laughs) presidential candidate is. So like, stop trying to label yourself in these like easy ways and like really think for yourself and like figure out where you stand and all these things. Uh, And also, so I, Sorry, I, I don't know how to word this. I guess all I'm going to say is just try to educate yourself. Like, watch movies with black people in them. Read books written by black people. Fiction and nonfiction. I think, like, there's a there's a lot of really good nonfiction going around about 
black experiences and how it's affected them. But I also think sometimes like I took, I took several classes in college, like sociology classes, political science classes and all that, where you get, like you hear the facts about, you know, like what the government has done to make it so like black people couldn't buy houses or couldn't vote or whatever. And like those are powerful, but they're also like in some ways like really abstract. It's hard to like, put those like bring those numbers to mean something to you so i i really do think like watching a movie where in some way they've been that's some way related to that like can be more powerful than that and maybe it's just me personally because i don't necessarily like nonfiction or documentary as much as i like fiction but yeah there's no wrong way to educate yourself as long as you're trying to learn more and like trying to expand your boundaries and also, like, no one's saying you have to only watch movies with all black cast or anything, but just try to expand what you see. And also, all of this goes for, like, Asian, Mexican, all of that, which is, I think, actually the only one thing that comes with all the Black Lives Matter stuff, which is, like, totally true. But it also, in some ways, it seems like it's leaving out, like, brown people and Asian people and all that. So that's... that's a whole another conversation for people who aren't us because I'm sure they could have a way more intelligent, nuanced point of view. All I'm saying is just try to just try to educate yourself and expand your point of view a little bit more. And I think the thing you said about nonfiction is is good. I mean, yeah, like you should be watching a lot of nonfiction about black people. But in terms of fiction, too, there's a lot of really, really cool stuff like comic books. There's fucking sick ass video games. I mean, like. Even just experiencing a story that's not even real, seeing someone who looks different from you, doing all the, being the protagonist is a great way to kind of expand your horizons. Like, I mean, you got fucking Black Panther, obvious. That's the big obvious one. You got Blade, fucking Spawn, badass fucking comic books and movies and shit. And they're all black protagonists, you know? And that's just three. There's fucking several more out there. <laughs> As much as, like, learning all this stuff did have an impact on me, like, I think the, the single moment that I most understood how black people feel was at the end of Get Out when the the, sh- the police lights pull up. Yeah. And he's on top of... Oh, I can't remember either of the characters' names. Yeah. Chris? And he's on top of her, and you're like, he's gonna die. Like, that was the, that was the moment where it's like, okay, this, like, I... <laughs> I get it in some way now. That's why, okay, that's a really good point to make. <laughs> that's why Get Out is one of my fucking favorite movies of all time. Because if you watch that scene, know that he just saved himself from fucking dying or a fate worse than death by getting out of there. And everything he's been through. If you're watching, if you watch that and see everything he's been through, and then you watch that final scene when the when the police lights come on. And you and you think, oh no! And you're still saying all lives matter. You need to fucking check yourself. <laughs> if you watch Get Out, see that scene, your first thought is, oh shit, he's going to fucking jail, or he's gonna get, or he's gonna get killed. Then, and you're still saying all lives matter. You <laughs> fucking seriously need to readjust yourself. <laughs> yeah, I don't think you watch that. I mean. I don't know. I don't think you can watch that scene and like have any amount of social awareness and be like, not know that, oh, he's going to get shot right now. Like this is, yeah. 
this car door is swinging open and he's getting shot. And the original, no asked. the original uh, draft of the script, they actually shot it too. It's an alternate ending. They had him actually, it actually was a cop and he actually did end up in prison and that's how the movie ends. But obviously the studio didn't like that. The, the protagonist was ending up in such a horrible position. I think this is a great compromise of like both endings. Yeah. Cause I don't know about you, but what I really thought, like, oh, fuck, this is it. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Um, anyway, should we, get to, should we get to part two of our bracket? Yes, we should. Uh, we, we're posting part one. I think I'm going to post it the day before this comes out. Okay. Just because we last week there was a lot of stuff going on. People were trying to amplify black creative voices and everything. We just thought it, we just felt better about waiting a week. Yeah. I guess is the best way to say it. I don't know. Yeah. We were just kind of like, I feel like, I feel like it would kind of be a little bit selfish of us to just be like, yeah, we're going to use this, this day to fucking (laughs) boost our, cause every, every day is a fucking day. You gotta, every day you post, you gotta be trying to boost, you know? So I didn't want to fucking start boosting all this shit when I could be posting like numbers to fucking representatives and stuff and <laughs> that you could call and emails and stuff. Yeah. So that was longer than a lot of our intros. Was are. it really? Pro- 33 minutes. Oh my God. That felt so much shorter. Probably not as funny as a lot of them. Maybe just as funny. <laughs> if you don't think we're funny. Um, but I think that's all really important stuff. And you know, like we said, we don't have a huge platform, but I think, I mean, hopefully one day we'll be huge and people will look on this episode and be like, hey, they were on the right side of history. They were trying. They were trying. Hopefully. They were two white guys raised in white areas <laughs> trying. Exactly. Anyway, uh, to recap, this is the Roger Deakins, I almost called it memorial bracket, but he's not dead. <laughs> he's still alive and doing great work. Still, we should call um, it the Roger Deakins <laughs> memorial bracket. <laughs> That's actually great because we haven't posted the first episode yet, so I'm going to change it. <laughs> um, the Roger Deakins Memorial Bracket. We started with 16 movies Roger Deakins cinematographed on, cinema, cinematographed. Uh, 15 of them nominated for Best Cinematography. One of them, The Big Lebowski, just a movie that I like, so I added it in. Uh, we're Wait, down to eight. He didn't, shoot, he didn't shoot The Big Lebowski? No, he did. It, did, it wasn't nominated. Oh, okay, okay. We're down to eight. I don't feel the need to recap it. People, if they're listening to this, I mean, they either yeah, you're getting the, you're getting the the last episode we did a day before this comes out. You don't even have to, you don't even have to wait a week this time. You just got to wait yeah. twenty four hours, baby. So I'm gonna start at the bottom of the bracket and we'll work our way up this time. Uh, so we'll start with our eleven seed, No Country for Old Men, versus the three seed, The Assassination of Jesse James by the coward Robert Ford. Uh, Darren, do you have any thoughts on this? Okay, so, uh, assassination... Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. I just wanted to add real quick, in case you didn't listen to the first episode. This is not just what movies have best cinematography, it's just best overall visual experience. Uh, we sort of talked about it in terms of, like, what we would just have on in the background, or have on with the sound off. Yeah. Various ways of thinking about it, but it's just what we think looks best. So, like, set, costume, everything encompassed in that. Yeah. Um, so, The Assassination of Jesse James by the Coward Robert Ford 
has a lot of wide open spaces. What do you do? It was true grit versus this one, or what was it last time? What, what's 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 against this one again? Uh, no country for old men. No con- oh fuck! We're starting with this one. Yeah. Jesus Christ. Because these are very similarly shot movies. Uh, they are. Because there's a lot of, I mean, Jake sent me this link to a video called Roger Deakins is a Loser. And it's about how <laughs> he shot all these like beautifully shot movies and didn't win until Blade Runner. Uh, and he'd been doing it for like a decade, something like that. He'd been getting Longer nominated for like a, okay, over a decade. And uh, yeah. I these are like the most similar movies of that whole list that I saw. Uh, I because there's a lot of shots where you know they're the it's a lot of lights through branches and stuff like that, or there's like a dark area with bright lights coming. And I just recently watched No Country for for Old Men again, and that fucking shot where Josh Brolin's character's running from the. Uh, the drug dealers, they're in the truck and they're shooting at him. <clears throat> yeah. Uh, that's such a beautifully shot scene. It's so simple, but you still get all the shapes of the mountains and the landscapes around it, but you're so focused on this f- silhouette running in front of a truck while there's a, another silhouette in the back with a rifle pointed at him, and there's these bright lights coming at you. It puts a lot of pressure on you as a viewer to uh make a decision about how he's going to get out of this like because you know when you're viewing movies when i'm viewing movies at least uh i try and make a lot of decisions and assessments about you know how i think they're going to get out of this situation and um yeah i think that shot just puts a lot of pressure on you to make a decision but assassination of jesse can i make a comment on that yes yes because I, I rewatched this movie this week and I'll have more comments on it in a minute. But that was another that was a scene that <clears throat> stood out to me as well because he's he's in the dark, like under this in this like ditch area, basically, and they're up above him, and you're like, okay, well they probably see him, but he's it's dark and like he's hiding. And then the like all the bar lights come on and you're like, How could he hide? There's nothing around here other than these like few trucks. He he can't hide like you just in that moment, it's another one of those things where you're like, he's fucked. Like it's just, yeah. I don't know how he's gonna get out of this, and that's such a powerful moment. It really stood out to me, so I just wanted to comment on that because we both it stood out to both of us. Oh yeah, I think of all the if if we're talking cinematography, that's like the shot that sticks out to me the most. Whereas with assassination of Jesse James, there's a lot of shots by the coward Robert by the coward. Yeah, uh, <laughs> there's a lot of shots that are good in that, but nothing in terms of, I mean, the train shot kind of sticks out to me when they robbed the train in the beginning. Um, it sort of sticks out to me. Like when it's rolling up, they have everything set up. Have you seen this scene, Jake, with the train robbery? Uh, I haven't. Well, they, they set up these barricades on the train tracks. It's a whole crew of people. It's, it's Jesse James's crew. And, they're waiting for the train. Jesse James is just standing on the tracks waiting for it. And as he's standing, you just see this small light come through the trees and then it turns to this giant light. It's the same essential idea of, um, of 
you know, the shot with the bar lights in No Country for Old Men, but it doesn't elicit the same response. And I mean, I only saw, God, I still haven't seen that full movie, but I, I only saw like half of it and yeah, there was nothing that really stood out to me, but there's so many shots in No Country for Old Men that I could pick out that just stand out to me as like, you could, you could, you know, recreate them as oil paintings a lot of the times (laughs) and like, they would be so messy and unsettling. That whole movie is just like super unsettling. Uh, and I felt really, and I think a lot of it had to do with the shot composition, what they revealed, what Deacons was like able to reveal with what he showed. And I wasn't feeling that intensity with, uh, Jesse James because it just, I mean, one, the plot line itself isn't as tense, but also the shots weren't, they were pretty, but they weren't as, they didn't elicit an an emotion as well. So I'm going to have to give it to No Country for Old Men. These two movies were the same year. I forgot about that. Oh. It's interesting because they're both nominated the same year, which is kind of crazy for a cinematographer. Like, that's a good year for you. And he didn't win for either of them, which is also crazy. Yeah. Uh, So I haven't seen all of the assassination of Jesse James by the Coward Robert Ford. I want to. I just wasn't able to in this week. Yeah. I regret not being able to, but I wish I just couldn't. Uh, to me, it seems like there's some, cause I, th- I think that there are really good looking shots, like really well composed and interesting shots, but there's also something about the whole thing that j- it just feels like someone who's like figuring out directing and like editing and all like it, it feels early on in someone's career. And it's interesting because I was looking at the director of that movie it's only his second feature film that he directed, and it came out 2007, but his first was in 2000? So that's a long gap. That is a long gap, those. wow. Uh, and he won the Australian Film Institute Best Director for the first, for Chopper, which was his first movie, and it won Best Actor and Best Supporting Actor. Hmm. So you wouldn't think it'd be hard for him to get another job. I don't know, I don't know what took so long. But the, it just... Something feels like a little bit just like, I don't know if it's like trying to imitate something or just trying to figure out a voice, but it it doesn't totally strike home with me. Uh, what you were saying earlier about like the sort of sepia tinged parts of it. Oh yeah. There's also, cause I, I, I actually did watch parts of this train scene. I just rewatched, I just put it on again to refresh my memory. And there's the, like... I don't even know what you call this effect where like the edges are blurred. Like Oh vignette. Extremely I is it vignette? I believe so. But it's not it's not black, which I thought was vignette. You can like, I think you can still vignette with, with a blur. Okay. But it's not even that it's out of focus. It's just like a really I don't I don't know how to describe it. I don't have the words, but do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, I think so. For for me, it's like a very strong visual choice that I don't necessarily think works. Versus No Country for Old Men, which after I rewatched it, I was reminded that I think this is a perfect movie. <laughs> I think it's with flaws, a flawed perfect movie. Uh, maybe, but I think it's a perfect. Like it's it's so good. It the choices that it makes are so bold and so interesting that it just I love this movie. Yeah, the fact that you have who you think is the protagonist. 
just die off screen is so so anti and then you never see him again yeah it's so like god and then javier bardem's performance is just so good I think what's interesting about this movie, not not talking about cinematography as much here, is that you know you think it the twist in it is a story structure twist. It's not like a, it's not like a, a, a like a reveal or anything. It's more of just like a shift, a huge narrative shift that kind of makes sense for the rest of the movie before then, which is the shifting so- of the anti- of the protagonist. And what's so smart about it, too, is it opens with Ed Tom. Is that his name? That's so funny, too. (laughs) Double first names are so funny to me. It opens with him giving his monologue about his dad being sheriff and him being sheriff. So it, like, from the very first moment, it's telling you, like, hey, the protagonist might not be who you think it is. Yeah. I don't know. I think it's it's amazing. Uh, But again... A lot of that's the story and the acting, which we're not taking into account here. But I do think No Country for Old Men has to take this spot. And it it will be our first into the quarterfinal round. Next up, we have the number seven seed, Prisoners, versus the number 15 seed, Coon Dune. Uh, I just finished watching Prisoners. Oh, boy. I actually actually finished watching it at like 10.30 a.m. I woke (laughs) up and I was like, okay, I should finish watching this. (laughs) And watching the last half hour of that at like 10 a.m. just seems like the worst. (laughs) (laughs) Was that before? Did you did you take your break before the bathtub scene? Like the first really intense bathtub scene is what I'm talking about. No, you didn't take your break before that. The bathtub scene had already happened by the time you stopped watching. Uh, Are you? The bathtub scene where one character reveals crucial information about his identity. Is that the scene you're talking about? I'm talking about the bloody one. <laughs> okay. That's not really bathtub. That's more... I think of that as the sink scene. Okay, the bathroom scene, I guess. Yeah. Okay. No. No, just the last half hour. Uh, I can tell you exactly when it was. It was when... I don't want to give too much away to anyone who hasn't seen it, but... It was when Jake Gyllenhaal thought he had a big break in the case and then something bad happened and then he realized that the suspect he thought it was might not be who it was. There you go. Is that is that clear to you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh and yeah, actually an I was texting I was texting Darren my thoughts on how it all came together and I wasn't entirely accurate. <laughs> but I wasn't inaccurate either. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that's funny. Um, Do you think I was? I mean, you were under the right. Tr- you were under the right track. It's been a while since I've seen that movie. So I, uh, but yeah, you're under the right track. Um. Anyway, neither here nor there. But Prisoners is an excellent movie. But it uses so Prisoners. I feel like Prisoners could be so Kundun sticks to a color palette the whole time. It's like reds, yellows oranges, um, that type of thing. Very dark, very dim lit movie. Prisoners expands so much. It like, it, it, it uses lots of grays and blacks and whites and orange. It uses yellows and oranges. I mean, it really sticks to the whites, I think. Um, 
but somehow still remains as a pretty dark, a, a darkly shot movie, I think. Because there's so much snow around them, uh, it's still pretty dark. And, I mean, when they're inside, it, it can go green, it can go, you know, like I said, yellow, it can go orange. Uh, and I think Kundun is very, from what I've seen, I still haven't watched all of Kundun either, but, uh, it was very calculated. Each of the shots were, you know, really nice, really pretty. Um, and it was more uniform than Prisoners. Prisoners was pretty messy. It's a pretty messy shot, but I think that's the point. That's another movie where it's like, that's the point. It's supposed to be messy. I think that might be Denny Veneu's style you know, other than Blade Runner. But yeah, I, uh, I don't know, man, I might have to vote Kundun on this one just because it feels uniform. It feels like they came at it with a plan and it feels like it was just shot better. What shots do you think of as messy? That's interesting to me with prisoners. Yeah. I think of, uh, the last scene, the scene where he's walking his dog or he's walking the dog, you know, um, the, uh, scene where they find the wife, um, the sink scene, uh, and the bathroom, like the, the hostage scenes, you, I mean, I don't want to give too much away, but that's kind of what I think of as messy. But like I said, it has been quite a while since I've seen that movie, but I did look at a lot of the shots recently and I was just like, yeah, it's a little bit messier than Kundun. I think... What really stood out to me about Prisoners, and look, I'm gonna, I, I'll just be upfront about my thoughts on Kundun. I think from what I saw, it's a well shot, well done movie, but the only way I could find this movie available was in 360p on YouTube. Yeah. It's not available to, available to stream or rent or anything online. So that, it's hard for me to say how good it looks when it's that shitty of a example, you know? So. Yeah. But Prisoners, what really stood out to me is I think that this movie does visual storytelling in such an excellent way. Like, not to say that the dialogue is useless, because I think there is good information imparted, especially in that scene I was talking about where one character reveals some important information. Uh, But I think you could, you would get so much of this movie just watching it on mute. It does, like, the, the, I feel like the, the shots are so carefully picked the scene where that first it's like two minutes into the movie where the RV is driving down the road. There's so much menace in that shot, like how it's done. And there's just so like, it tells you so much about what's going to happen to these two girls and all of that, just from like the placement of the camera and how close it is to the RV and all of that. And just, I think there's so much information revealed. I think it's one of the few movies that's like, the, those opening scenes are pretty well lit, but there is there was like, like it felt tight in my chest. I was like scared for these girls, and I was like, this, something bad's gonna happen. So I I it seemed to me like it was all very carefully chosen, and I think at times it might have been messy, but to reflect where Hugh Jackman was at or where Jake Gyllenhaal was at, because I think like the the actual way that that the information is revealed is so well done uh i i think it's also really interesting how comfortable it was with darkness 
just like having a scene start in a black room and then like have Hugh Jackman come in and turn a light on. I think that's really interesting. You don't see that in a lot of movies. It, it felt like the move of a confident filmmaker. I think so. so. I could see that. Yeah. I think a lot of the shot compositions did reflect. That is a good way to put it. Like I said, I haven't seen this movie in its entirety in a, a long time. Um, so I think you're making really good points here. I do remember the shot compositions kind of reflecting the tone of the, uh, of Hugh Jackman's mood a lot of the, for, you know, the whole movie. Uh, one scene that stands out to me is like when it's blizzarding outside and Hugh Jackman sits in Jake Gyllenhaal's cop car with him and just starts fucking screaming at him. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, And it's just blizzarding outside. I mean, that's a really well shot. And I think that's one of the more composed, like organized shots in the movie, but it's really simple still. I think the scene where the wife who has been like, she's been taking pills and like, she's totally out of it. She hears something in the house and she's like going to investigate it. Like, that's such a tense and that a lot of that comes from like the camera placement and like also just how tight the quarters in this house feel. Yeah. I don't know. I Look, let me say again. I don't know how great Coon Dune looks because I watched Prisoners on my 4K TV on like streaming and it looked excellent. And Coon Dune, like the quality just isn't there on this video <laughs> that's available online. So in some ways it feels wrong to judge them against each other because I didn't get the full Kundun experience, but I can only experience what's out there for me. So I have to pick prisoners. Okay. Um, are we taking this to a tiebreaker then? I suppose. Okay. I will. I mean, listen, I will have it be known. I haven't watched all of Kundun. I will say that, but in the first hour of Kundun versus the first hour of Prisoners, I enjoyed Prisoners thoroughly more than the first hour of Kundun. The kid was annoying, and <laughs> <laughs> a lot of shots hold for a very long time in Kundun, making me kind of want more, but I think that was... I think that's the point. I don't... I would put the shot... the Those first shots, like I said, of the RV... And then the shots of Paul Dano with the light, just the little bit of light, I'd put those up against anything in Kundun. Yeah. Uh, God, Paul, the acting performances. Uh, Denis Venu, I think, first of all, doesn't get enough uh, recognition as an excellent director. But I, I think, like, his stories are great. But also, like... It seems like every acting performance in all of his movies has been very good. Yeah. And whether that comes down to like just really good casting or just him being an excellent director, I, I can't say. I wasn't on set, but <laughs> I feel like every, all of these performances were just so... Oh, gosh. Well, Jake, you will be, okay. you will be happy to know that Prisoners does win this tiebreaker. Oh, wait, Darren... We're not going to do it the way we did last time, where you look up one and I look up the other, and then we say oh, it at the same okay. time. I thought, <laughs> <laughs> shit, we should have. You, just... you should have prefaced <laughs> this by saying that. Okay, we can still pre- pretend I never looked it up. I'll I'll say Coon Dunes, uh, Rotten Tomatoes percentage. You see prisoners. Okay, so you're doing three. Okay, 
We're averaging them and then rounding up. Oh, right? we're do. Oh, I didn't. I actually didn't count the uh, the user rating, so I forgot about that. Oh wow. Okay, give me a. Oh shit. Hang on. I don't have my phone's dead, so I don't have a fucking calculator on hand right now. Give me a sec. I gotta search it on my fucking. Do you want laptop. me to? Here we go. I got. I got a calculator. Okay. I have to find the average. Hang on. Oh my god. Okay. <laughs> uh. Okay. All right. I have it. Three, two, two, one, one, seventy-seven. Eighty-four. All right. Prisoners takes it. All right. People do not like well, Kundun, dude. Uh, on to the next it's one. It's because the kid's the man who wasn't. That's why. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> the man who wasn't there versus 1917. Uh, so I just... <laughs> I, this this is an easy one. I just watched the man who wasn't there. Uh, this is a- Darren texted me. <laughs> I'm the one who texted this. I thought I think it's so funny. Darren texted me that he was gonna watch the man who wasn't there, but his power was out. And I told him I was gonna watch it, and then I saw what it was matched up against. Oh yeah, my power was out for 13 fucking <laughs> hours last night. That sucks. Yeah, it was out from like three to it was out from like three p.m. to four in the morning. Look, Darren, we're pretty deep into this episode, so unless you have any um, anything important to say about watched, the man who wasn't there. I watched The Man Who Wasn't There this morning, uh, and I gotta say, as a movie, <laughs> I loved the beginning, and then the end came, and I was like, what the fuck? I just, I just, I don't know. I did not like it that much. I loved the beginning. I thought it could have been like a parody on film noir, and then they just fucking took all these shifts, and I was just like... I don't care anymore. I just don't give a shit. Does, does Billy Bob Thornton kill his brother-in-law? Uh, I don't know. Do you want me to tell you all the spoilers? Are you ever going to watch this movie? Just just say yes or no. No. Okay. Um. Anyway, uh, the man who wasn't there, very well shot. If it was up against any of these other movies, it might be a contender. But 1917, <laughs> I'm just going to say it now, like... <laughs> it may win this whole fucking thing because it's a fucking phenomenon of a movie the way it's shot uh i was thoroughly blown away when i walked out of the theater by 1917's shot composure so i mean darren let's just move on let's save these thoughts okay <laughs> i will say Manny Next wasn't there up- had some pretty shots for being a black and white movie though i'll say that yeah, I don't think this is a, a comment on the man who wasn't there, which from what I saw, it does look very interesting yeah. and very cool. But ni- 1917, come 1917 on. has Next something up. that man who wasn't there doesn't, and that's color. True Grit versus Blade Runner 2049. Uh, Blade Runner 2049. <laughs> this is why I started at the bottom of the bracket, because I thought these two would just... Yeah, this isn't, yeah. these are both easy. True Grit, again, another beautiful movie. But, Very well shot. Okay. But doesn't use the effects, doesn't use the the colors as much. I mean, it, ju- it just looks like a Western, whereas Blade Runner looks like almost like a futuristic Western. It's great. Prisoners versus No Country for Old Men. Our first... I said last time that it was our quarterfinal, but that's not what I meant. I meant hemipene. I meant that it was our final four. The penny. It's a, the penny, it's a hemipene the matchup. The penny final. The penny final. Uh, prisoners, no country for old men. Um, God, 
These are two movies that are very on par with each other. I would say I love both of these movies and I love both of this, these movies, cinematography and their shot compositions. I was not prepared for this matchup. Um, this is why you wanted to get Kuntun in here. So you could easily just put <laughs> no country rolled men into the final. <laughs> I get it. Um, I think that oh boy, two very vastly different color palettes too. Uh, God, Jake, I'll let you go first on this one because I'm having a hard time and I've gone first on all the other ones. So, Okay, this is really tough for me because as I said, No Country for Old Men, I think, is a perfect movie. Uh, I love it with all of my heart. But also, again, I think a lot of that comes from the story and the action performances. I think if you took away, if you took away the sound... I don't think that Javier Bardem, his excellent performance, I don't think it would be quite as strong. I think he would still be... I mean, I don't know how he does the things that he does with his mouth in this movie. I love the it funny may- moments in this, in No Country for Old Men. Like with the gas station clerk. <laughs> He's saying, That's- don't spend the quarter. <laughs> <laughs> I love that shit. And then he's like, it's just a quarter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I love that shit so much. Uh, he's so terrifying. <laughs> I don't know. There's so much that I relate to with Llewellyn in this movie about you think you have a great plan and you think that you have skills. You're like, hey, I was in the war. I know what I'm doing. And then life is just like, no. <laughs> yeah. There are people out there who are much better equipped. Yeah. Much more willing to do anything for this cause. Like, it's just... Versus Prisoners, which... Like I said, I think it's some of the best visual storytelling. Like, I think it it's, it's stripped back so much in what it says. I think, like, even... Like, the moments where uh, Hugh Jackman is, like, praying... And then the few shots of, like, the cross in his truck. I think a lesser movie would have him, like, in a church or at a confessional or something. Like, this, I mean, him praying is sort of heavy-handed. But at the same time, like, the prayers only come at very heavy moments. Like, when, okay. I don't want to get, I don't want to get too specific, but I think and Prisoners also, is one of those movies where if you give any detail, you're spoiling like the whole movie because every five minutes there's like a huge reveal. <laughs> yeah. Also like his friend, what is the friend's name? I can't remember. In Prisoners? I can't remember the actor or Viola Davis's husband. Uh, I don't remember either. But like there's just some really good acting moments with him where he doesn't say anything and you can just you know everything that's going on in his mind about the choices that are being made by Terrence Howard. <laughs> some of the characters. Terrence Howard, of course. Yeah. Uh, the, uh, the, the, that, the moment where Jake Gyllenhaal goes to that guy's house and he's like, oh, did I? I must have been in a hurry. Like, that is such a... Oh, my gosh. Which, again, that's acting and... I don't know, Darren. I That's not cinematography, Jake. Or visual storytelling. Um, okay, I there's a mo- there's one moment in this in Prisoners that really I 
I don't know how to say it without... Without spoiling everything? When one of the characters walks into the room and he finds a bunch of containers that are surprising. You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> I know, yeah, I know what you're talking about. Just that, that moment, like, there's so much there's so much weight to all those different things. Also, I want to mention, just to bring this into the conversation, because I don't know if Prisoners is going gonna, is gonna to go on here, but Jake Gyllenhaal is a bad cop. Like, he... <laughs> not that he's a bad detective, but he... He's so quick to pull his gun on people. <laughs> he's a movie cop. Uh, yeah, he's he's definitely part of the problem. He, <laughs> I felt very weird about cheering for him in this movie because he's an actor I like, and obviously I'm cheering for his cause. But at the same time, I'm like, he's doing bad things that in real life I'd be very mad to see a cop do. I would suffice to say that everyone in this movie is insanely flawed. Uh, no, this is an example of one of those movies that is where none of the characters are perfect. They're, they all are, almost all are bad people. Uh, and I would say with two to four exceptions. Okay. But people who are like pivotal in the story, I I, I know exactly. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Um, but yeah, I'm looking at the prisoner's shots right here, and it's a, I mean, yeah, I mean, it's very gray. It's almost like they put a, a gray filter over it, like the color corrector put a gray filter over it, which is more color correction than cinematography, but they go hand in hand. So uh, there's not, I, we, you know, I always remember this movie as having a lot of green, but it's actually more... The tint over it is more yellow, if anything. And it's tough to put your finger on. But it's very realistic. It's very realistically colored. A lot of grays. And I'm going to look at this No Country for Old Men shots right now. I also think it might... It's it's a movie where I don't... Like you were saying, No Country for Old Men has shots that could be paintings. Yeah. I don't think Prisoners has those, but I do, like, I think, in, like, just individual frames aren't necessarily this film's strong suit. So it's, like, a different type of visual, like, what makes the visuals good. <sighs> okay, so I have both. I have just a, a foray of shots from both of these movies pulled up, and I'm comparing the two. And there's definitely, on No Country for Old Men, it has obviously that, what I call the Coen Brothers filter, which is just like a, it's almost sepia tone, but it's not. It still looks really real, uh, but everything is kind of in the same, kind of, it's like a different shade of the same color in a lot of parts, namely like the gas station part that we were talking about, the part where Llewellyn is running from uh, from Shigar, uh, out of the hotel, but I'm looking at scenes that are big at these shots that are big reveals. Like, um, for instance, where, uh, Shigar strangles the police officer with his handcuffs and then it pans down to look at the boots and it reveals scuff marks. Yeah. All the scuff marks. That is a small detail that a lot of movies would just not, they would not even spend the time on otherwise. But 
because this movie shows that those scuff marks, that just makes it so much more personal to the viewer and more realistic. Uh, and I don't think Prisoners, while it is really pretty, I don't think it really has any of those details like that. Uh, a lot of these shots that I'm seeing right now, which it's kind of claiming are like its best shots, almost look like they added a lot in post, a lot of lights. Uh, they didn't, but I mean, they look they look a little bit fake. I mean, they look not that it's not that they're added in post, but it looks like the lights are obviously not the lights that would be used in real life is my point. Uh, they set a lot of things up just for, just to light, like they would set cars up in certain spots just to light certain sides. Like there's a part where Jake Gyllenhaal's approaching an RV. They purposely just left a car in one spot so they could light the side of the RV. And to me, that seems a little bit sloppy. It's a good way to hide a light, but at the same time... But that's how they would do it in real life. I guess. That's how cops illuminate things in real life. I guess, but then No Country for Old Men just feels more natural, I think. So, I mean, I think for me, it is going to go to No Country for Old Men. Cause they, I mean, and then there's the part where um, where Ed walks into the uh, the hotel room and his shadow is just is just holding over the wall. And there's so much tension from Llewellyn. Or uh, not Llewellyn, Shigar watching the fucking, the lock hole. And they also go inside the lock holes that Llewellyn has shot out from all the doors. I mean, it's, it's just like, I think No Country for Old, for old Men takes this one. I think, again, that just looking at individual shots doesn't do Prisoners the justice that it deserves. Maybe not. I think that. I think you do have a good point. That's very interesting about prisoners, about the the shots reflecting Hugh Jackman's persona. And I think the way that it reveals information is, I don't, I, I, I don't know. Like that scene that I was mentioning earlier about the containers that, yeah, like that really took my breath away. <sighs> I, I don't know. This is really tough for me because again, I think that. No Country for Old Men is absolutely a better movie. I say absolutely as if it's like a huge difference because I think Prisoners is excellent. But I would almost wager that Prisoners is a better movie than No Country for Old Men. Wow. All right, that's interesting. Yeah, we have we yeah we see <laughs> we have opposite opinions about their shot composures. That's man. Again, it's not shot composure. That's not what I'm arguing here. I know, yeah. It's every little detail. Like, I think also it's difficult to talk. Like you said, it's difficult to talk about prisoners without spoiling everything, giving away too much. But okay, what about like the the scene when Jake Gyllenhaal is in that basement, and there's just like that, like the way that information is revealed is so interesting. Uh, when they dig up dirt and they find mannequins in a lawn like that. <laughs> Yeah. I don't know. I the way the way that prisoners got me to feel things for an RV, I think is very rare in movies, and I want to reward it by picking that. So I think it's time to go to the tiebreaker. All right. <laughs> uh, I'll look up prisoners. You look up No Country for Old Men. Okay. Should we be using Rotten Tomatoes or Metacritic? That's 
It's too late now to decide, but just for the future. I just looked up Prisoners, even though we already went to the tape for it, and I had I remembered what it was. So let me get my uh, let me get my calculator out here. Doing the math. Can't do it in my head. I'm bad at math, y'all. All right, I have. I my... think I know what's gonna win this one. Still but I rounding up, right? Yes. Okay. On three. Three. Two. two one. one. 90. No, 84. Uh, I almost said prisoners. <laughs> prisoners. <laughs> so, No Country for Old Men. <laughs> no Country for Old Men does take it. Uh, in a close matchup, one of our closest matchups, only to be, only to be challenged, I think, by this next one, which... Uh, Look, here's the thing. If, if you're a Roger Deakins movie, you're going to be nominated for Best Cinematography. But if you want to win, you have to put a year in your title. That's the deal. <laughs> we have Deakins' two films, which won Best Cinematography. Blade Runner 2049 versus 1917. So last week, I somewhat jokingly said that Sicario vs. No Country for Old Men should be the final. Because... In all, in all honesty, I think this is the final matchup, in my opinion. I thought about rearranging this bracket so that these two would meet in the final. Maybe Darren has different feelings, but to me it seems like just let let them meet when they will, and we'll we'll discuss what we think looks better. Well, I, I like I said before, I've gone first on so many of these, so I'm going to give the first opinion. I'm going to give the tip off to you on this one. All right, so 1917 is great for a lot of reasons that we've talked about on this show before. Um, It's really cool seeing how they were able to stitch this to make it look like it's all actually two long shots, if you really think about it. But, uh, and like, even, okay, so that, the whole, I don't want to say gimmick, but that whole idea aside, like, there's, Many good shot compositions in the movie. It looks really interesting. It's really well done. I think it's a, a beautiful movie. I was really like blown away by watching it in the theater. That said, a little bit... There was a, a just that little bit in my mind that at times was distracted, like looking for the cuts or looking for the the hidden edits, you know? Which I think is... I don't know. That's a little bit of a knock on this movie, in my opinion. Versus Blade Runner 2049, which I didn't want to say this last time, but I think that this might be the most beautiful movie I've ever seen. <laughs> it's just... It's interesting what you said last time about 1917 blowing... no cut Or uh, the man who wasn't there away... Or like beating it because 1917 had color. I would say comparing these two movies, I, I wouldn't even realize that 1917 had color because it's so <laughs> it's so muted compared to Blade Runner 2049, which you think like, oh, this is just going to be like noir, really black. And then like, oh, maybe some neon. But then it like, no, there's like huge dust, like huge shots of all this dust and all these like just crazy things. Um, I don't know. I don't want to make my pick yet. It sounds like Maybe. you. It sounds like you did. <laughs> Maybe I did. I I want to hear your thoughts. Uh, 
So, like I said before, like I keep saying, 1917 blew me the fuck away with its shots when I walked out of it. However, I did see, the only time I've seen 1917 was in the theater on a giant, giant screen. I've seen Blade Runner 2049 on a giant screen, and I've seen it on a home TV as well. And uh, both times, I mean, I... You know, I watched it with Kyle, friend of the show. We we would pause it at times and just be like, "Look at this! Look at this shot!" I mean, we don't, we didn't, we haven't had the chance to do that with 1917 to watch it on a home TV yet. So I don't know if we would do it the same way uh, with 1917. But we definitely there were points in Blade Runner where we would pause it and just kind of be like, "Look at this, dude! This this shot is beautifully composed." Um, However, 1917, fucking, God, I was amazed by it. It was, I mean, the strongest, if I think of a movie, the sh- I mean, Blade Runner has great shots and a great story to boot with it. But if, if I'm talking about, you know, 1917, it's not that it, the thing I remember the most about it is the shots rather than the story. Whereas Blade Runner, I remember both. I remember that the shots and the story, uh, they're both excellent. And there's more color to 1917 as a what? Or sorry, as to Blade Runner. Sorry. That's what I meant to say. Uh, and, uh, as a person, I would say, you know, I am into more colorful images. Uh, I like when things are like neon. I like that sort of look. Uh, there's a lot of points that are, you know, unicolor, whether it's the same. Everything's like almost like kind of what I said about the Coen Brothers filter, except in a different way in Blade Runner, you know, especially when he's walking through the dust storm, like Jake said. And, but there's some shots that, you know, are a lot, a lot less memorable in Blade Runner. And, uh, and, you know, you, there's a lot of shots in there that outweigh the others. However, you know, putting a fucking side camera on a hovercraft or on like a spaceship is a fucking brilliant choice. They didn't have to do that. They don't do that with like Star Wars and shit. And if they do, it just looks fake. But... That put me in the fucking, in the seat, in the fucking space of the film. 1917, I did still feel like I was in the space of the film, but at a certain point, it got kind of pretentious. Blade Runner has some pretentious shots, too. Uh, namely, the one with Jared Leto. <laughs> Every part with Jared Leto <laughs> in that movie is it was insanely pretentious, I thought. But, um, but that building that he's in is stunning. It is great. But like if you if you were in that building in real life, I think you would it would blow your mind, I think. I think so. I think you're right. I mean, not to say that it's not pretentious, which I, I I agree that it is. There's some stuff in both movies that are pretentious. I think more of 1917 is pretentious just because of the gimmick itself of doing it all in, you know, one shot. But it's amazing the way they do it. However, yeah, like Jake, I was pointing out a lot of the uh I was pointing out a lot of the cuts in 1917. But I mean, like, the scene where he's running through the burning town, that's so fucking cool. Where he just, 
they're they're shooting the bo- the air bombs off and he finds the town and he has to run through it he's be- he's been found out and he has to run through this town as it's fucking burning and all these bombs are shooting into the air that's a fucking beautiful shot uh i don't know man because of okay i'll i think i made my choice can i sure <clears throat> So what makes 1917 so amazing is that it is two shots, essentially. And so in some ways to, I think, like, take the shots apart. I I don't know how to think about this movie sometimes because, like, there are scenes in the movie that are unremarkable if not for that gimmick. Like, scenes where they're walking through the trenches... like many scenes I think you've seen many times before. And so, but then you weigh in, okay, but it's, it's all one shot, but then you weigh in, but it's not all one shot. It's like 40 different shots stitched together, which is still, but okay. So then you weigh in like, but they still had to think to get all those stitches to be seamless. And like, that is a huge part of it. So, can Go I say on. something? I was just going to yeah. say, it's not actually that many shots. They apparently did not do that many shots with this movie. I guess Benedict Cumberbatch uh, was hel- hel- was like holed up in that bunker for like not two weeks straight, but he would show up to work and then he would be in character and then he would wait for hours for the beginning of the shot to start. And then the, for it to, and then he would get on walkie how close they were getting, and he's apparently spent like a week and a half just waiting. He never went on camera for like a week and a half when they were shooting his scene. Uh, so I got I don't think it was actually as many shots as we all think it was. I mean, it could have been forty shots. I don't know. Forty I, actually sounds pretty accurate. I thought I heard that it was forty, but I can't. That sounds pretty accurate, actually. Okay. Um, so, yeah, so factoring all that together, like, if this was a, if this movie just had traditional, like, cut to black or something, like, in between the shots, I don't think it would be nearly as effective for obvious reasons. So, I, I, I don't know. I have a really hard time, because I... Some of it I don't find, like, I think that there are shots in it that are typical or we've seen before or are expected in ways that I think very few parts of Blade Runner 2049, like, there were so many parts of that where I thought they either blew my mind or they just looked crazy or they were different than I expected, like, I don't know. I don't know, Darren, I... Give give your choice. Okay, so as you were talking, it kind of helped me sort out my thoughts because I had so many at the same time for both of these movies uh, of just stuff I wanted to make my mind on. Um, I think that you're right. If this movie just kept doing normal cuts, it would be a lot less effective. That's not to say that a lot of the movie isn't doesn't look good, but... You know, there's a couple shots that I remember from 1917 that, you know, are were a lot more lackluster. Like, specifically the part where 
he's just going onto the onto the truck. I mean, it's good that we feel like we're one of the soldiers in that scene, but uh, you know, you look at the layout for it. It's just a truck. It's just like a line of trucks, and they're and you know when they're pushing it out of the mud and whatnot. It's just a fucking line of trucks. When I feel like in Blade Runner, there's always something to be had with each shot, and I mean, yeah, I said some were less beautiful than others, but pretty much every shot in that movie is beautiful. <laughs> I mean, pretentious or not, there's they still look good. You mean you, you might eye roll at a few of them, but they look good. You can't deny that. So I think I'm gonna go with Blade Runner on this one. I think sort of by the nature of what the movies are, like being a World War II movie set on the front, like there's there's more opportunities for it to just be like in a field or in an area that's not as interesting. Whereas like Blade Runner 2049, there's so often so many layers. Like you're looking out of out of his window into the city and like there's so many little windows where you can like see little details and different color and all this stuff. And then on top of that, there's what Ryan Gosling is doing. And then on top of that, there's what Joy is doing. And then on top of that, there's like the different ways that she should. Okay, here's what it is. The sex scene in that movie? Like that. Okay, first of all, that movie, that that, shot, that was shot practically. They just did two takes ha- and then oh. composited them together. Oh, that's really cool. I didn't know that's, that. To me... That rises above anything 1917 does, which I I feel like it sounds like I'm coming down really harshly on 1917. Well, to Wait, get the movie. exact camera movements two times, <laughs> to get the exact background two times is fucking nuts. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think, I, I don't know, like, that shot, that was so cool. And then to learn that they did that practically with, like, with some visual help or some... Not visual help. I'm sure. I mean, sense. yeah, you can't really some have digital her glitch help, in but... and out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I, I don't like that. That shot, I think, is more interesting than anything in 1917. I think 1917, this is, this is unrelated to what we're talking about, but 1917 without the one shot thing, I think the story would kind of fall apart, especially after he wakes up from the tower. I, I like the the breakneck pace that it goes at. I feel like if you had any time to think and ask questions, I think it, it wouldn't work as effectively. <laughs> but that's again not what we're talking about. So, Darren, you're picking Blade Runner twenty forty nine. I am. I will pick it as well because I think it might be the most beautiful movie I've ever seen. <laughs> um, but again, nineteen seventeen is blew my mind when I saw it, and now. The mere formality of the final matchup. Uh, <laughs> maybe not. I don't know where you stand on this. Uh, no Country for Old Men versus Blade Runner 2049. Okay, so we both know that this is an obvious pick. And <laughs> I think we... That being said, I think we should still give No Country for Old Men a good little farewell. Because uh, I know you're going to pick <laughs> Blade Runner on this. <laughs> I'm going to pick Blade Runner 2. If you're if you've seen both of these movies, you probably understand why. If you disagree with us, I don't know. Instagram us, DM us. Like, why do you think? Why do you think No Country for Old Men should win this one? Uh, maybe you like the story, but that's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about the the shots here. 
If we were talking about best movie, that'd be a different conversation that we're not having. Yeah. No Country for Old Men. would. this would be a lot tougher if we were talking about better movie. Uh, I mean, uh, we might disagree on that. I don't know. I think we probably would. We probably would. But uh, No Country for Old Men is, as I've said, it's a perfect movie. Um, perfect flawed movie, yeah. The reason that it won't win here is because of what it is. It's a very down-to-earth, realistic Western. It's not, like, there's really cool stuff in it. It doesn't it's, take you to an unknown place. We A lot of us have been to Texas. Yeah, Darren and I together. That's true. There's, no matter how well it's shot, or how well it's set decorated, or acted, or not acted, like costumed or anything, there's only so high, the height is only so high it can take you when you've seen other westerns in your life. Uh, and they did great work, like making Sugar look so scary and all of that, but at the same time... like That's more character costuming, though. That's more character, like, that's more makeup and character costume. That's still visuals. But that's not cinematography. We're not talking about just cinematography. That's what this whole thing is. Oh, has I been. thought we were talking about cinematography this whole time. Let's redo the redo the bracket. Restart the bracket. I've made it clear so many times that it's <laughs> this is a Deacon's okay. list, isn't it? Why is this a Deacon's memorial list if we're not talking about Deacon? If we're not <laughs> memorializing Deacons, because how can you just talk? We talked about this. The Deekster. How could you, Darren? Why are you doing this now? Why are you doing this to upset me? We got to restart the bracket. Why are, you, why are you trying to upset me now? We've come this far. Even if we were talking about that, um, even if even if I thought we were talking about, even at vi- just visuals in general, No Country for Old Men still loses. But it's not through any flaw of its own. It's just like... it only It only grabs what it can. By virtue of setting out to be the movie that it can be. I I think this movie is... I mean, it's gone up. Like, there are other Western movies on this list. Western movies that haven't made it as far. Western movies that lost to this movie. If you consider Sicario Western, which I think you kind of should. Uh, because I think it, it, it reaches as high as it can at, like... In every aspect, in the acting, in the story, in all of those things, I think that's what makes it a perfect movie with flaws. <laughs> um, but okay, look, Blade Runner twenty forty nine is. I think if you were to argue that No Country for Old Men was better, was a better looking movie than Blade Runner twenty forty nine. I mean, yes, everything is a matter of taste, but. You would be, I, I, f- I feel like if you were to say, no question, No Country for Old Men looks absolutely better than 2049. It's probably a matter of your taste and how you feel about like CG and CGI. Um, if you like your movie, if you're more of a movie purist, you don't like a lot of effects, then yeah, you're probably more likely to pick No Country for Old Men. But th- even with the effects that they did, even with the computer generated things, they did so well 
recreating everything to look as real as it could that I think it'll take a much longer time for Blade Runner to age than most movies of its time that use CGI. Like, I mean, Marvel movies are going to age. They're going to, they're, they're not going to age well. And this, some of them have started to. Yeah. Like we talked about (laughs) the Avengers on many episodes ago. We've talked about how the Avengers has already not aged well. And I think with Blade Runner, everything looks so crisp and clean and just like everything else that it's going to take a lot longer for it to age. Whereas No Country for Old Men might, you know, because it doesn't have CGI, it may never age. I don't I think also because it's it's a movie set in the 80s specific like for what it is, I don't think it will age. Poor, like it'll all I think it'll always be what it is. But I think that Blade Runner 2049, they've achieved what a lot of people have thought, have started to think was the unachievable. And I think that, you know, it's going to take a much longer time for it to age badly, given the amount of effects that are in it. It's just, and that being said, it's a fucking sci-fi movie where, like, I think at least half of the effects are practical. That's what also what I was going to say is like you make it sound like this is some CGI like Phantom Menace. No, I never I would never say that. (laughs) But like so much of it is practical and so much of what's stunning about it is in some way natural or like the scene where Dave Bautista smashes Ryan Gosling through a wall. (laughs) That's so cool. And so like, yeah. Oh boy, I forgot about that part. <laughs> what a way to start Batista's a film. Batista's in this movie for like three minutes. <laughs> and he kills it. And he kills it and he plays a very pivotal character in the movie. Um, Dave Batista, I loved him as a wrestler. I, I mean, if I didn't love him before, I had to love him after I saw Guardians of the Galaxy. <laughs> I love him for saying that he would never do a Fast and Furious movie. That's so funny to me. <laughs> Like, everything, every choice that he's made in his life has just made, endeared me more to him. <laughs> uh, look, we're talking so much when the, the outcome here is set in stone. Blade Runner is the Roger Deakins Memorial Bracket winner. Which, again, to, to a blanket statement that maybe I should have said at the beginning is that all these movies were nominated for Best Cinematography, except for Big Lebowski. All these movies are very their own style. They're very cool looking. We like them all. So don't take any Most of this of as us talking shit about a movie that you like, okay? Yeah. Um, <sighs> I think that was a solid bracket. I think we made a solid bracket that the Academy would scoff at and get <laughs> wrong. There were some truly, truly difficult choices in there. Oh, yeah. Some this was of one of toughest. our toughest brackets. Absolutely. Darren thought it was stupid when I brought it up. But in retrospect, I've done good. Did I say I thought it was stupid? No, you didn't say it. Jake is insecure about his own brackets. <laughs> no, uh, I, just know, I just know how you think. <laughs> I didn't think this was a stupid bracket. I actually really like this bracket. Jake, so um, you maybe you don't know me as well as you think you do. I do. Have you have you watched the Blade Runner twenty forty nine prequel shorts? 
Uh, no, I have not. All right. Just out of curiosity, just to just to really take the momentum out of this episode, I thought I would ask that. <laughs> uh, uh, now you know. Now you guys know uh, there are Blade Runner twenty forty nine prequel shorts you can watch before you watch the movie if you haven't seen it. If you've already watched it, then there's no point in watching them. So don't watch them. Um, I don't think that's accurate. <laughs> I'm just <laughs> you haven't seen them. <laughs> Uh, no, I was just judging by the fact that they're prequels. You don't, why would you want to go back in time on a story? That's stupid. Do you want to know a funny fact I learned about Blade Runner 2049? What is it? Do I already know it? I don't know. Okay. They approached a screenwriter and they were like, hey, we're looking for someone to write the prequel to this movie or the sequel to this movie. And this guy was like, okay, but can I write it in novella form? And they were like, yeah, I guess. So you wrote a 110-page novella, and I was just like, okay, do whatever you will with this. I'm gone. <laughs> Did that end from up that, being a movie? From that, they turned it into oh. the script. <laughs> that's insane. Also, the opening scene with Batista, that's, that was exactly how the first Blade Runner movie was supposed to start. Oh, really? Yeah, and so Denis Villeneuve was just like, yoink, let me just throw this in here. Can I say in a funny fact about the first Blade Runner? Yes. Uh, Ridley, that... Sc- Ridley Scott um, f- did not read uh, Do Android's <laughs> Dream of Electric Sheep because he thought it was too boring and he just wanted to make a movie about it. <laughs> <laughs> That's an actual fact. Um, if you don't know, Blade Runner is based on the book do androids dream of electric sheep loosely (laughs) on i'd say i mean i started reading it and it fucking what he was right i only made it like fucking uh a third of the way through the book it was so fucking boring dude i would say but it is is a hot take it's not loosely based it's pretty it's pretty it's pretty tightly based on that story at times i would say this is a hot take i would say the movie is more boring than the book i think blade runner is inexplicably of classic that people love but the pace is so slow dude barely anything happens the pace was so slow into android's dream of electric sheep i i was fucking so sick of reading about fucking android farming i was just so fucking i was so done with it uh, I was like, yes, I get it. You're trying to build. I have the scene. Like, the fucking world is built in my head already. I fucking understand it. Uh, anyway. <laughs> Jake, do you have any final thoughts? Old movies aren't always good. Sometimes they're really boring, and we can admit that. Oh, absolutely. Um, but some people can't admit it. Uh, <laughs> Blade Runner, not that good of a movie. I think Jake um, is just uh he's poking, he sees a he sees a weak spot and he's poking it. And that's uh, not just on me, folks. That's on all of you listening. Citizen all Kane Blade Runner also lovers out boring. there. He's gonna say Godfather next. No, Godfather's good. But <laughs> you've said Godfather's boring on this show, I think like two or three other times. I think Godfather Godfather is I th- I'd say infinitely more interesting than Citizen Kane. Like, there, there are moments in Godfather where I care about characters or feel anything. Citizen Kane, who gives a shit? <laughs> um, <laughs> like, let's be honest, who cares? Who cares that this guy who 
I don't feel anything towards had a fucking sled as a kid. I think it's a romanticized movie. I think it's an overly romanticized movie. It's not a bad movie by any means. Citizen Kane is a great movie, but it's overly it? romanticized. What is great about it? What is great about Citizen Kane? <laughs> other than other than its influences on movies going forward, which yeah, all grant it's direct influence. On, but that's the thing is like I think now we have much better movies than Citizen Kane was, and I think that when Citizen Kane came out people started looking at it as such a revolution and an advancement in movies. And they thought it was legitimately the best movie they had ever seen. And then that, that thought that statement just never died. And I think they just kept saying it throughout time. And even though much better movies have come out, hundreds of better movies have come out than citizen Kane since then. I think that people still agree, still all say that citizen Kane is the best movie of all time. It's it's baffling. Like, how many music fans are still like Beethoven is the peak? You can never like no one could ever touch Beethoven. It just doesn't make any sense to me. Look, we've been we've been through this. We've I don't been know how this, many times we, we have, we've had this conversation probably ten times on this show, and I'll do it ten more times, <laughs> and then ten times after that. It's inexplicable to me. Uh, there you have it, folks. Um, fuck, fuck Citizen Kane. All my homies hate Citizen Kane. <laughs> Let's put that meme up there. Okay, this is we're 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 coming up on two hours if we don't start to wrap this. Well, that's up, good. So. I mean, we made people wait, so I mean, we might as well. Uh, anyway, Jake, I was trying to get you on your final thoughts. Oh, you already yeah. did say your final thoughts. Do you uh, have anything my, to add? My genuine final thoughts are just go back and listen to the opening of this episode. Um, not the opening where Darren is saying weird <laughs> incel stuff. Oh, yeah, you um, mean when I say people like women belong in the kitchen and shit? Yeah, don't listen to that. Uh, <laughs> no, Know that that part was parody. But, uh, yeah, instead of just distancing yourself from any problems whether they be racist, racial, racist, sexist, any of that stuff, like really do examine yourself and think about what you've done to make things worse. Even if you thought it was innocent, as I thought my, as I thought my middle school teasing of a friend was innocent, realize that actually, hey, no, it's, it is racist. Yeah. Uh, and on that same note, maybe don't use gay as a bad word or stuff like that. Think about think about the harm you're doing to people, even if it is fine to you. Yeah, I agree. You're well, I'll yeah, I, I everything I'm going to say, I I've already said. Don't let your past define you. Uh it helps you grow as a person to admit when you're wrong or if you change your mind. It's not a bad thing. It's good to educate yourself. You don't imagine if everybody fucking thought what they thought when they were 13 fucking years old and then never changed their mind on anything because they looked at that as a weakness. Just fucking change your mind. Like, you can still grow when you're an adult. Anyway. Uh, That's exactly what I was going to say, is that I don't still only listen to Fallout Boy. I've grown <laughs> as a person. He moved up to uh, Yellow Card. <laughs> That's so funny. I was just talking to my friend who I was friends with in sixth grade, and he bought me a Yellow Card CD. And I told him, he reminded me that I told him 
Uh, thanks, but I only listen to Fallout Boy. <laughs> Yellow Card uh, tried to sue Juice World post mortem for stealing their uh, melody when it doesn't even sound that much alike. <laughs> That's a whole different topic we could discuss on another episode. But yeah. uh, realize, for some reason, we're like so willing to grow out of our our likes and dislikes as kids, but we're not re- willing to look back and say that we had flaws. And also, like, it's not just when you were a kid. You've probably had racist thoughts more recently than you would like to admit. But also, just having a thought and then telling yourself it's wrong is how you grow. Whereas just suppressing it and ignoring it, you're just going to keep doing the same thing over and over again. Which is why we should all accept that Citizen Kane is (laughs) fucking boring. (laughs) Great way to close it out, Jake. Uh, Thank you all for listening. Uh, Snickles cast. Snickles cast Instagram. Yeah, or Twitter. Twitter. We just posted uh, a new YouTube video where I do a really bad job of explaining the Matrix. Um, oh yeah, Darren posted a new YouTube video. is really funny. Uh, a ton of work went into it. I imagine. Um, oh yeah. Just watching it, you can you can tell the labor of love that Darren put into that. I'm working on a new series that I'm going to try to post every week. So look out for that too. Uh, Darren, I liked your The Matrix video. Thanks, man. I did work hard on it. Very, I, you remember. It was like a fucking two months before I posted that. <laughs> <clears throat> Got another one coming out of another movie that I consider a classic. That I will, I don't know when it's going to come out. Though. Those I swear to God, if it's Citizen Kane. Those things take forever, it. and I guess <laughs> now I'm not going to do it anymore because Jake just told me not to, so... <laughs> Uh, this has been the, <laughs> one of the longest outros we've ever done. Yeah, for sure. It's it's one of our heaviest episodes, both in terms of the matchups and the content before and after. So, yeah, I guess I'll wrap us up. In what universe?